Well, again, good morning. Oh, man, I am excited for this message. So if you're joining us, uh, we are finishing up. We have two weeks left of our, Hebrew, our series in Hebrews. Um, we will uh, finish up next week. Today would be Hebrews 12, and next week is going to be Hebrews 13. And, <coughs> and we will be starting uh, uh, Advent next Sunday. We will be starting some of our, our just our parts of, of Advent and the lighting of the candles. Um, and, and then just to let you know that we will be starting a Christmas series in December. Um, so we'll do a four-week series um, looking at some of the songs that were sung in response to the, uh, the promised Messiah and, and after Jesus came. And so it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. But this morning, we are... Uh, in Hebrews 12, and last week, uh, we talked about the heroes of the faith. Um, we talked about guys like Abraham and Moses and, and the greatness and, and those who, who've come before us. Who've uh, We look at it and, and we can say, these are the guys and the ladies in the Hall of Faith. Um, and it's applicable, right? Like, we can think about it. Like, uh, real quick, uh, list off some, what are some of the greatest uh, football players of all time that are in the Hall of Fame? Jerry Rice, uh, Joe Montana, right? Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, right? These, these are guys that we could look in, in, in all the things that we look at, we could say those are the greatest of all time. Um, and, and when we look at Scripture and, and we point to Jesus, we could see some of those who have gone before us that we could say those were the men and ladies of the faith. Those that we can look to and be like, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be a part of imitating. And, and it all centers upon is that they imitated the goodness of Jesus. They imitated God. And, 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 we, and we talked about how the, that should be our desire. That should be where we, we, we want to finish. And, and because of their faith in Christ, they were commended. And so this week, we are going to talk about living out the hope that we have in Christ. And we're going to talk about the race of a lifetime. Now, let me see a show of hands. How many of you love running? You used to? So today we are going to talk about running. And I got to say, running is not my favorite exercise. It's not my favorite exercise, but Christ calls us to run a race and so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. 
and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as his sons. For what son is there from whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Then a root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the horrors beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the other that was given. If a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. And so the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the saints of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that no, do not refuse him who is speaking. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At the time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, you once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship and with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Hey, Lord, this morning, Jesus, teach us, challenge us, convict us, encourage us. God, I pray that your spirit would come and speak through me. Lord, may the words that are written down on this paper um, give you glory and honor. And if it doesn't, Lord, I pray, Father, that the words that come out of my mouth will be different. So speak, Jesus. May we not only be hearers, but may we be obedient to the words of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. So last week we got a glimpse of this hall of faith, those who have gone before us. 
And usually it's us going and cheering them on and, and, and encouraging them when we go to sports games and all these things and we're cheering for our favorite players and cheering for our favorite teams and the script has been flipped. The writer of Hebrews is saying that now for that we have this great cloud of witnesses who are celebrating, who are cheering us on. It's kind of like us being on the field and this is what we hear. We hear the cloud of witnesses celebrating and encouraging us. And so he's saying that because we have this great cloud of witnesses, that we have these, the people who've gone before us that are celebrating, they're encouraging us, that, that now are, we're the one running the race that they once ran, and now they're the ones looking down, hoping that we finish well. And they're running this race. And what is this race? What is the race that we are running? Well, it's the race of our lives. It's the race that is set before us, the race that, that Christ is calling us to live. And there's something special to be reminded and to be encouraged knowing that someone is rooting us on. I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm working out, I, I'm not one that likes to work out by myself. I, I need someone next to me who's encouraging, who's cheering me on, who's challenging me and saying, you can do this, keep going and pushing me. And so we have the, the men and ladies of our faith who are encouraging and, and pushing us and celebrating us on. So what does it look like to run this race? What does it look like for us to finish well? All throughout Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to persevere, to persevere till the end, because in the end is when we receive eternal life. It's when we receive the kingdom that God has for us and the prize that is waiting us. And so when we ask that question, we need to understand that finishing the race well is running away from sin and towards Jesus. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, what we're saying is, Jesus, I'm dying to myself. I'm putting off the things of sin. I'm putting off the things that are causing disobedience towards you, and I'm running towards you, Jesus. I'm running this race, and so I'm casting off everything that makes me feel good. I mean, sin feels good, right? But it's temporarily satisfying. And so Christ is saying, cast that off. Throw away sin. Run away from it and towards Christ. And this word run comes from the word treko, which means it's like an athlete that's moving forward with full effort and directed purpose. And so we're running. We're, we have to run with a purpose. And our purpose is to give glory to Jesus Christ. We got to understand that as believers, as those who have accepted Jesus, who declared Christ as Lord and Savior, our, our purpose in life, that God created humankind, was to bring glory to the Lord. And so our purpose in running this race is to bring glory to Jesus by casting off sin that a holy God cannot be in the presence of. And by saying, Jesus, I want to run towards you. 1 Corinthians 9 24 says, don't you know that a race, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. I remember one time I was in elementary school, and I guess there's some kind of um, 
community festival thing happening, and, this, and the gym teacher comes up to me, and he's like, hey, do you want to run in this race? And I'm like, great. Like, I win this race. People cheer me on. Like, all these things are happening. So, I'm, so, so the day of the race, I, I'm, I was a cocky little kid. And I wanted to, to I, I wanted to beat, and I was confident. I was looking at all these guys, and I was like, yeah, I can beat him. I can beat her, and all these things. And so we're running the race, and, and you know, like, when you're just running and you're excited, you don't consider uh, stamina and your breathing and all these things. So I'm running, and I'm ahead of them, and all of a sudden I'm like, <sighs> <sighs> and all the guys just pass me. And they had to wait for me to finish, and I was clearly embarrassed. I pressed forward. I finished. But there's things that I didn't consider along the way that kind of caused me to stumble a little bit, that caused me to, to not run uh, and, and not win the race. And so finishing the race well is about running away from sin. We cannot finish the race if we continue to allow sin to run our lives. We cannot finish the race if we allow sin to continually ruin our lives and run it. The things that are holding us back, you know, it says to run, to cast off everything that's entangling us and tripping us up to run this race. And those things that are entangling us, that are tripping us up, are sin. They're the things in our life that, that we run and we're running and we just stumble over. And so sin has this, this hindrance on our lives. So we cannot allow sin to remain if we are to press forward. So the Hebrew writer is saying, look, cast off all the sin, the sin that's entangling you, the sin that's making it hard to run this race. Cast it off. Cast it aside and run with perseverance. And it's kind of like, and it reminds me of Forrest Gump. I told you that I could run like the wind blows. From that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running.
sure is a running fool. So Forrest is trying to escape these boys that are just pelting rocks at him. And he's running, but the braces on his leg are, are hindering him from running faster and, and better. And, and, and so as you watch the video, as he's running, these things are starting to break off of him. And he's running, and he gets faster and faster, and it gets easier to run to the point that everyone's saying, this boy's a running fool. My hope is that when the world looks at you, they call you a running fool because they see that you're running away from sin that the world says is great, and you're running to Jesus. I would much rather be a running fool, running towards Jesus, than to have things that are causing me to displease the Lord. And so when the world looks at you, what are they seeing? Are they seeing a person that desires to bring glory to the holy, sovereign king of the universe? Are they seeing a, a, a believer who's saying, I want to run towards Jesus. I want to cast off all of the sin because I recognize that the sin in my life is only causing death in me. Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried in him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Those who have accepted Jesus, you here who've saying that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you have died to sin in your life. You have to continually put that to death. And you've been raised to a new life in Christ. You've been resurrected from the dead. And when we've been resurrected, we can't go back and look at our old lives and say, that's what I want. So What? Life do we want? Are we desiring a life of sin? Are we desiring a life uh, of holiness, of, of, of running towards Jesus? Because if we let it, sin will continue to assault us, will continue to violate us, will continue to harm us, just like those rocks were harming fires as the boys were pelting him. That's what sin does to us. Sin, while it seems good, is actually causing us more harm for our lives and causing us to be assaulted and hurt. We must remove anything that is going to trip us up. It says anything that is entailing us. Can you imagine running a race and you think it's going to be fair and so you start right next to somebody, but the one person has a clear path and we have all of this stuff in our path. Well, who's going to win? If it was just an on-your-mark-and-set-go, most likely the person that has a clear path is going to win this race. Why? Because we have all these things in our, in, in our way that are going to cause us to be tripped up or, or we're going to have to jump over and all these things. And so Christ is saying, hey, in your life, remove anything that's causing you to tri be tripped up. And so my question is this. If you desire to be 
a, a, a godly man, a godly woman, a God that desires to please the Lord, but yet you have things in your life that continually tempt you, continually trip you up, and you're wondering what is going on. Well, we have to remove all of those things that are causing temptation in our lives. Whatever that looks like, whatever that may be, if you're a person who who continually finds your identity in, in social media and the world and, and, and wants to be what the world says you are, that's sin. So how do we get rid of those things? How do we get rid of the things that are tempting us to find our, our worth here, our, our, our feel good, our, our everything here? Well, we, we got to remove those things. And so if social media is causing you to sin, remove it. Get it out of your life. If, if technology is causing you to look at things that you're not supposed to, get it out of your life. Remove it. Because those things are only going to trip you up and entangle you of running the race that Christ has called you to do. And so true followers of Jesus will truly desire the things of God, and that is holiness. Do you desire holiness? Do you desire the things of Christ? To cast off sin, we must realize that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. So we have to finish the race well by running away from sin and towards Jesus. Finishing the race well happens when we change our focus. When we change our focus. So it says, run this race, cast off everything that entangles you. And then it says to fix your eyes on Jesus. In order to finish well, we have to shift our focus forward. We have to fix our focus on Jesus. If we were asked to run a race and we're sitting here and all we're doing is focusing down, most likely what's going to happen is we're going to run into something or we're going to run it a wrong path. Because if you're focused on the prize and you're focused on Jesus and you're running that way, you're going to go that direction. But our focus is off, and we're looking at things we're not supposed to, and and we have cloudy vision. Those things are going to cause us to not finish well or even fix our eyes on Jesus. So we have to have a Christ-centered lens. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Since we've been raised to new life, since we claim to be believers, since we claim to follow Jesus, we need to seek the things that are above which means that we need to seek the things that are of Christ, that are of God's word, that Christ says are honorable and good and and, and represent me. So we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we have to consider Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who has gone before us and lived a perfect life, resisting temptation, experiencing the trouble we should have experienced, and paid the price for the atonement of our sins that we deserved. Christ, the perfect one, the sovereign king, came down to earth and paid the price that we desperately deserved because of our sin. See, God has to punish sin. God, a holy God, has to punish the things that are against him. As a just and good God, in order for him to be a just God, he has to punish the things that go against his norms and against his standards. 
And so we look at it, and we can represent the heroes of our faith, but here's the thing. It wasn't the heroes of our faith that solidified our future. It was Christ. And this consider Jesus, this focus on Jesus, isn't a, a consideration. Like, consider focusing on Jesus. No, it is a look at Christ, who is the ultimate model that we are to follow. The church exists because of Jesus. The church exists because Christ secured our salvation by finishing it on the cross. He's the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. He's the source. He's the one that created it, and he's the one that finished by, by satisfying God's wrath on the cross. And it's because of Christ that our sins are forgiven. But here's the thing. Finishing the race well appreciates the discipline of the Father. And all about you, but discipline wasn't always a good thing. I, I, I don't like discipline. I, I mean, getting disciplined for something that I did wrong was painful. It was hard. And discipline is not always meant to be easy. But here's the difference between Sometimes what our earthly parents do and then what Christ, the God, the Father, disciplines us in. Is that the discipline of the God, the Father, is holy. It's majestic. It's good. Sometimes when we allow our anger to get the best of us, we can discipline our children in the wrong way. But see, God doesn't have any of that to hinder him because he's holy. He's good. And so discipline in its natural form is all about training and developing. We discipline our children because we desire for them to be a certain way. And God disciplines us because he desires for us to be holy. He teaches us the things that he desires for us. Parents discipline their own children, but they don't discipline the children of others. We can look and we can say, man... That kid over there, like, he, this should happen, but that's not our kid. That's not our child. And so we discipline as parents. We, we, we're called to only discipline our own children, and we desire to discipline them, to point them in the right direction. And so when we look at Scripture, here's the goodness, right? Here's the most amazing thing in this passage. God calls us his children. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus are children of the living God. And as children of the living God, God desires to train and, and to teach and to discipline us towards holiness. You know, some discipline is painful. And sometimes God allows things in our life that are painful. But yet, we know and are confident that God does things for his glory and our good. And so we can look at discipline sometimes and, and things come into our life and we're asking God, why? Why are you allowing this to come into our lives? And he allows it because he desires to redirect us. He desires to point us in a different direction. We got to understand that God's discipline isn't about punish, but love. Because Romans 8 1 says, What? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't discipline us. God doesn't discipline his children to punish them. Punishment is only left for those that don't know Christ. And so God disciplines us because of his love. God doesn't demean us, 
and then spank us. He doesn't call us names and then punish us. He always calls you a child of the king, and the things that he allows in our lives are about molding us into his likeness. A true loving parent will discipline out of love. John Piper says this, in other words, a dad in his sinful meanness might say, you're such an idiot, you'll always do that, and maybe hit them. And his words are, are contemptuous. They are despising. But God never says, you always do that, you're just an idiot, you never do anything right. God never loses control like that. If he spanks, if he brings any kind of hardship into our lives, it is with measured, careful, wise, loving application of his wisdom and his grace to our situation. So he is calling for us to have a greater faith and a greater humility. But we've got to also recognize that, that sometimes, yeah, you know, God allows things in our life because we're sinning. There's some sin in our lives, and God allows certain things to happen. While they're not good when we look at them, they're a result of sin. And so God is saying, I've allowed this to show you that your sin is harmful. That your sin has, has physical implications and impact. It has spiritual implications. It has emotional implications. And so when we sin and God allows certain things to happen, he's saying this is a result of sin, and you have to change. But we also know that not every time God disciplines us is because of sin but because we do need to be redirected. But you got to ask yourselves, if there's things that are coming up in your life and you're wondering why they're happening, we do have to examine ourselves and ask, am I living in sin? Do I have unrepentant sin in my life? Are there things in my life that God is saying, hey, you need to repent of? God does everything for our good, even if we don't feel it. Things don't happen by chance without the sovereign king knowing about it. We have a God that knows everything about us, that knows everything that's happening to us, and he isn't blinded or, or shocked when something happens to us. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we've got to understand this. Everything in our lives, you know, we can't, we can't look at our lives and be like, you know, if cancer is a result of something or things happening, we can't look at cancer and be like, that was good. Right? Not everything is good, but God works everything out for good to those that love him. And so while the cancer itself is a result of our fallen humanity, a result of our sin, God allows certain things to redirect us, to point us in different directions. And we look at that, and we can look back and say, it's because of that that I chose to go this direction instead. Well, that was painful, and it wasn't good. I can look back and know that God allowed this for a reason. Finishing the race well is found in the power of encouragement. So not only are we called to appreciate the, the discipline of God as we finish well, we need to also understand that finishing well happens in community. And you're going to hear me say that a lot. As Christians, we're not meant to be in isolation, but we're meant to be in community. And so it says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See it to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. 
And so when we think about running a race and we think about wanting to give up or wanting to give anything, there, there's always certain people that come alongside of us that say, keep going, press forward. You got it. You can do this. Right? As community of believers, as community of saints, our calling is to not only worship Christ and go towards him, but our calling is to also encourage others to go towards him. And in doing that, sometimes it is making sure that, that our fellow believers, our fellow brothers and sisters aren't falling into sin. And if they are, it is our calling and our job to say, hey, let's, let's work this out because this is not right. This is totally contrary to the faith that you have. But we're not, as Christians, I'm not saying that you need to look at somebody and be like, um, you know, you're worthless because you're doing this. No, it's saying, hey, you're falling into sin. I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to press you forward to get out of this, to go towards Christ. And so as Christians, some of the things he says is make sure that no bitterness rises up. I got to say this. This is hard sometimes for me because I can look at my past and I'm reminded of all the things I go through. And there's always sometimes a, a sense of anger, like, why did that happen? But we got to make sure that anger isn't rising up, that if there is certain things in our life, we got to say, Lord, help me with this. Take it from me. I don't want to be angry at my past or angry at what people did in my life. I want healing for this. And then he says, make sure that no one is sexually immoral. The Bible says that, that, that all their sins, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, all their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. There's something dangerous about sexual sin in our lives. And so he's saying, make sure that no one's falling into sexual sin. What does this mean? It means encourage your brothers and sisters to, to refrain from looking at things on the Internet and doing things they shouldn't be doing. It means encouraging your brothers and sisters to make sure that they're not having sex out of marriage. It makes sure encouraging your brothers and sisters to, to stay pure, to, to be faithful to your spouse, to have these things. Why? Because sexual sin not only harms others, but it harms yourself. And so as a community of believers, we have to continually to encourage each other, to live at peace with each other, to challenge each other, to press forward towards the prize that we have. Finishing the race well is all about cutting out every other noise except the voice of the Lord. The Hebrew writer says, make sure that you're obedient to the voice of the Lord. In life, we can have so much of the things that are coming at us that are causing all of this noise around us to distract us. We have the noise of the news media. We have the noise of politics. We have the noise of, of everything else, of, of, of sports and, and music and celebrities and all of these things that are coming at us. And we can be looking, okay, where's my source of hope coming from? Where's my source of truth coming from? And we have to, as Christians, in order to finish well, is we have to count out every other noise except the voice of the Lord. And sometimes the voice of the Lord is so quiet and so gentle. Sometimes it, it causes us to have to work at it. But why should we cut out every noise? Why should we listen to the voice of Jesus? Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly clipped for every good work. 
The voice of the Lord is for teaching and rebuking, for correcting and training. So we have to condition ourselves when we're running the race to say, all right, Lord, speak. Allow me to hear your voice. And when we do all this and we finish this race, at the finish line is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We can look all over the news, and lately it seems to happen more and more, but we can look at earthquakes that are shaking everything up, that are causing destruction, and we're seeing physical man-made buildings just fall and crumble to the ground. And everything around them is just crumbling. Or, or you can see hurricanes that are just wiping out buildings and wiping out all of these things that are happening. And here's the reality. Everything on this earth that we can see will be cast away. And in the race, when we finish it, there's only two, there's only two things. We're either running the race towards physical things, towards earthly things, or we're running the race towards a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which is where the holy God of the universe lives and is reigning. And we're coming to not the mountain that's in the Old Testament that Moses, that, that when Moses went up and the power of God surrounded it and anything that touched it would crumble and, and, and burn away. We're coming to a mountain called Mount Zion, which is called the city of God. And we can look at this currently. This is earthly Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But the Mount Zion... In the end, when God creates a new heavens and a new earth, is going to be glorious and magnificent. Psalms 48, 1 through 3 says this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon and Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to her fortress. This mountain in the end that we're coming to at the finish of this rice is a mountain and a kingdom that contains all those who've gone before us in the faith. The angels, God himself, who's saying that when I come back, when you finish this race, it is going to be glorious and magnificent. This is what we get to come to when we finish the race well. This is at the end of the race that we are running and my question is for you, is this what you're going to see at the end? Are you going to see God himself? It isn't a crown or a kingdom that's going to fade, but a kingdom that will last forever. And so when we see this, and we see God, and we experience his goodness, and we read this passage, our response should be worship. Our response to a holy God that says, I want a relationship with you, and so I'm going to send my son, and I'm going to die in your place so that you can be in my presence. And it's when we accept him as Lord and Savior, this is what we get to experience. We get to experience a God that says, I love you. I want, I'm calling you my child, and, and my view of you is so differently than the world has for you. My view of you says that because you believe in me, you're washed white as snow. That when I look at you, I see the blood of Christ. I see Christ's righteousness. I see his goodness. But here's the thing about our God. 
yes, we're going to a kingdom that can be shaken. But here's the thing. They finish this chapter by saying that God is a consuming fire. Let me ask you a question. When you create a bonfire at your house and you throw all of these things into it, what typically lasts at the end? Nothing? Maybe ash? Metal? If there's metal in it, right? Like, when we experience the goodness of God in our lives and we allow God to form us, to discipline us, to, 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 to literally bring us through fire, what's going to happen at the end is all that is left are the things of Christ. God is a consuming fire. God is holy. God is righteous. And nothing else but holiness and of things of Christ can last in the end. So let me encourage you with this. Colossians 3 talks about focusing on the earthly things of Christ, but then it says put off the sinful nature, continually put off and put on Christ. In Sunday school this morning, we talked about the things we're called to put on, the fruit of the Spirit, goodness and gentleness and mercy and faithfulness and patience and peace and love and joy and all these things and self-control. These are the things that we got to put on. And so what clothes are you wearing? Are you wearing the things of the earth or are you wearing things of Christ? Finish the race that God has set before you. For some of you, you, the end is coming near. You could see it and you're like, I can't wait to be in the presence of Jesus. But your race is not over. Finish well. And for some of us who are young or younger, like, we have a lot, but here's the thing. We need each other. As a young pastor, I need those who have gone before me, those that are older than me, to say, hey, keep running that race. I've been there. I've seen it. I know what can happen if you're looking at these things or these things are happening. Continue to press towards Jesus. We need each other to encourage each other. Because God is a good and faithful Lord that desires for us to finish the race well so that we can enter the kingdom that is unshakable, that contains a consuming fire where Jesus is. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good and faithful. God, help us to finish this race well, to run the race of casting off all sin in our lives, of casting off everything that can trip us up so that we can run a race that is for you. God, our desire as Christians should be that of holiness and righteousness and things of Christ. And so, Lord, if, if we're living in sin or there's unrepentant sin in our life or things that are in our life that, that are causing us to actually go against you, God, I pray that you would reveal that, show it. God, may we live lives that please you, not ourselves. May we live lives that when we finish, what's left is your kingdom. So Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.